This is an AMI podcast. I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Black History Month is celebrated annually in February in the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom. It is marked in October in parts of Europe. Serving as a recognition of important events and people in the African diaspora, Black History Month has received official recognition by governments in many countries and is celebrated informally in several others. In 1995, Canada's House of Commons officially recognized February as Black History Month and undertook to honor black Canadians. This marks a major cultural turning point in Canada, providing recognition of the existence and contribution of black people, as well as making visible the historical and ongoing marginalization of the community. Today, we celebrate Black History Month. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. You're with me, Joyita Gupta. Today we're celebrating Black History Month and it's an opportunity to reflect on the contributions made to Canadian history, culture and economics by members of the black community. We often associate slavery with America. We often associate the Underground Railroad with America. But we don't realize that Canada and Canadians play a significant role in that history and that across the country from coast to coast, there cropped up some vibrant communities that were a home base for African Americans and Canadians for many years. Of course, we don't see those communities in Canada anymore. That is largely owing to the history of gentrification. But to unpack that history with us and to go over that history with us, we'll be talking to a very special guest. My guest today is Akila Newton, the founder and executive director for Overture with the Arts in Montreal. She is also the co-author of the book Big Dreamers, the Canadian Black History Activity Book for Kids, Volume 1. Akila, welcome to The Pulse. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's great to have you. So we're talking about the Tracking Black Canada Tour. I think the basic question that we can ask here is, what is it? So um, I guess I'll start from the beginning. Um, the annual Black History Month school tour that I've been hosting through my organization, Overture of the Arts, started nine years ago. And essentially, we wanted to go into schools and use music and the arts as a tool to communicate um, injustices and use it as a way to keep students engaged, to teach them about important historical aspects of Canada. Because oftentimes during Black History Month, um, when teachers are looking for resources to educate their students, they focus on the states. Mm -hmm. They don't focus on Canada. So we wanted to find a way that was really entertaining to teach kids about Canadian Black history specifically. So, as I said, for nine years, we've been visiting schools across Canada, and my twin brother, Omari Newton, is the host of the presentation called Tracking Black Canada, and this year, the presentation focuses on historical black communities in Canada. So, we focus on Little Burgundy in Quebec, in the Montreal area. We focus on Amber Valley in uh, northern Alberta uh, Alberta and Edmonton. We focus on Hogan's Alley in uh, Vancouver, and then... Uh, We also focus on prominent black Canadians as well. Mm. Let me ask you again what might be a a simple question, but why wouldn't Canadians learn about the history of black Canadians in regular history classes? Why do you perceive there being a gap in information? I think the big problem is 
a lot of schools aren't mandated to actually include it in their curriculum. So because it's not part of the curriculum, they don't feel that it's necessary to actually teach students about, you know, what has gone on uh, in terms of Black history in Canada. So, I mean, some teachers, you know, bless their hearts, they try their best. And Mm -hmm. with the limited resources that they have, they focus on the Underground Railroad or Howard Summit, both which are obviously very important, um, important parts of Black history in Canada. But that the main focus also is, you know, on the civil rights movement as well, which is American Black history. Mm -hmm. So because the stories aren't really accessible, teachers are struggling to find the material to teach their students. Mm-hmm. I think that's a major problem. Right. Now, was slavery a feature of life in Canada? Yes, and people don't realize that. Mm-hmm. I think because we have such harsh weather here in the winter, people just assume that because it's so cold here that there's no way that we had field slaves. And fine, although we didn't have field slaves, we still had house slaves. So it wasn't you know as out and open as it was in the States where, unfortunately, slaves were getting whipped in the field. Mm-hmm. They were getting whipped behind doors in, in homes. So, yes, yeah, slavery was a thing in Canada. People just assume that Canada was a safe haven that was void of slavery, but that's obviously not the case. Right. And, of course, the tour that you're putting on along with your twin brother is going to challenge some of these assumptions. One of the things I wonder about is whether the tour changes depending on the audience you're performing in front of. So if I were to watch the show in Halifax, would I see something that was slightly modified uh, compared to someone who watched in Toronto? Not necessarily, and it's actually, I mean, we do talk about Africville in Nova Scotia. Um, I mean, we try and incorporate elements of different provinces across Canada, so depending on where we're visiting, they do have that connection. But the way it changes is we actually present from elementary school all the way up until university. Mm. So it is actually the same presentation, but the way that we word it and frame it is different, just so the comprehension level is obviously a little more... um, a little more basic for the elementary school students, whereas when we're in universities, it's uh, more of an in-depth conversation with the students. That's something I was going to talk to you about as well, because I, I noticed the range in terms of just the age of your audience. But I would imagine you're also seeing a range in terms of the background. So you might have people who identify as black Canadians for whom this would be a very different experience compared to someone who's South Asian and has their own history of migration and immigration. So how do you bring all of those disparate experiences together and make sure that everybody is welcome? Well, I guess because Canada is such a, a melting pot of different cultures, we basically try and frame it in a way where we're just explaining that, you know, black history is Canadian history, period. Mm-hmm. And if you look at race from a biological standpoint, we are just one human race. So when we break it down and explain that to students, they just kind of stop and think for a moment, like, okay, yeah, you're right. And then they realize, like, yes, this is a part of my history. And then oftentimes when we are, you know, sharing these stories with kids, they're just in disbelief when we talk about segregation and slavery in Canada because, as I said earlier, they just didn't think it happened here in Canada. Mm-hmm. And if someone was part of the audience who happened to be blind or was deaf or had a learning disability, how do you make sure that tracking Black Canada is accessible to as many people as possible? I mean, we as well do the best that we can with our resources. However, a lot of schools are equipped for, for example, if there's someone that's hearing impaired, there's a device that my brother can put around his neck that will then connect to, um, I guess, a student's hearing aid, so then they're able to hear the presentation more clearly. Uh, we have had some deaf students, so we've had um, an interpreter there mm-hmm. that uh, that has been able to translate everything for the student. 
but unfortunately, not all schools have those budgets. Mm-hmm. So we do the best that we can, but um, we do hope that eventually we will be able to have the, the budget to have all these, uh, these schools available so all of the students could have a great understanding of what we're presenting. I'm speaking to Akila Newton, founder and executive director of Overture with the Arts, about their upcoming show or their ongoing show, Tracking Black Canada. Akila, I want to talk about something you mentioned briefly off the top of the show, which is just profiling some of the communities that you visit, figuratively speaking, of course, during the tour. So you mentioned a few places. Give us an overview of some of the places that you talk about. Uh, so... My hometown, Montreal, we talk about Little Burgundy, which is, uh, you know, a very a very well-known city, I guess, in terms of its music scene. Um, there was a very well-known uh, gentleman named Rufus Rockhead, and he was one of the first black club owners in Montreal. So when there was prohibition in the States, he would actually bring in black artists to perform in Montreal. So artists such as Cap Calloway, Ella Fitzgerald, mm. and all of these great jazz musicians would come to Montreal uh, and perform at his club. And we were actually known as the Harlem of the North. And a lot of people don't know that. Mm-hmm. So we're sharing these incredible stories about these areas in Canada that are predominantly black that most people have never heard of. We also share stories of Africa, which is obviously more well known. But people don't realize, I guess, that Africa, Africville was essentially bulldozed by the city mm-hmm. of Halifax. I mean, it wasn't like it was some you know, some uh, some group just, just decided that, oh, we want all these black people out of our city. No, this was the city that allowed, <laughs> you know, their employees to take bulldozers and bulldoze their church, bulldoze homes, and get rid of an entire community that was uh, essentially gifted to, to black people who came and settled there. Mm-hmm. So there are all these these crazy, heartbreaking stories that need to be shared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, the artist Faith Nolan wrote a song about Africville and it was very moving. The other community that you visit in the tour is the Ward in downtown Toronto. And, you know, I was mentioning to my producer that I read a fascinating book about the Ward uh, by John Lawrence called The Ward. And mm-hmm. in one of the things that he says in his book is that the Ward was always the gathering place uh, for immigrants, for newcomers and for people who belong to these marginalized communities. But to suggest that these were repressed neighborhoods would be a mistake because they had a vibrant social and cultural and economic life. How mm-hmm. true is that? I know it was true for the ward, but how true is that for some of the other places that you're talking about? I mean, to my understanding, I mean, I know Montreal, at least, was um, a thriving community. And I mean, for years, it was it was doing so well. And a lot of uh, train porters would set up shop there with their families and a lot of businesses would open in that area. But I mean, at the time, it was a growing community because of the train system. But when trains became less popular and cars became more popular um, in a lot of these black communities, you'll notice that the city decided that they needed to build highways. And of course, they decided to build them in these black communities, which Mm -hmm. essentially destroyed the communities. So, Communities that were once thriving basically had no hope in the end, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of these communities still do exist. Uh, they still are going strong. But, I mean, who knows what could have happened had these cities not uh, essentially 
put highways in the middle of them. Right. And what you're talking about is a very modern phenomenon. I mean, the name, the academics have called it gentrification, that they're essentially yeah. wiping out low-income communities, displacing low-income people and racialized people uh, to make room for freeways, to make room for condos that nobody can afford to live in. In what yep. way is this tour that you're putting on trying to engage with young people about gentrification? Well, I guess what we're really trying to do is, you know, tell me about, you learn about their roots, basically, mm-hmm. because so many of these kids don't realize how lucky they are <laughs> because they've grown up so privileged, a lot of the students in a lot of the schools that we visit, that they don't realize that the hardships that, you know, the, the past generations had to go through for these kids to now have these incredible opportunities. Akela, one of the things that I really wanted to get into discussing with you is the capacity for critical thinking built into a tour like this. Because although we in Canada don't necessarily have the modern day black ghetto, we do have communities within every major urban center that are predominantly black neighborhoods or racialized neighborhoods. And although I'm not seeing this, there are stereotypes and stigmas attached to living with those neighborhoods. Often, you know, those stereotypes and stigmas provide the precursors or a justification for some of the gentrification that we talked about. So is this a way to tell a different story about some of these neighborhoods and to get students to think critically about some of the things they might hear in the news? say that it's a way to get them to think differently. I think it's just a way a way for them to be aware of what has happened in the past mm-hmm. and hopefully what steps we can take to avoid having this happen again in the future. We don't want history to repeat itself. Mm-hmm. So I guess if we do educate kids about gentrification, they then realize, okay, if they are looking to eventually set up shops or whatever it may be, they need to understand the history of those communities in advance. That's what I personally feel. Mm -hmm. And I'm so, so curious about your research project. I mean, we talked about the fact that there's a gap in the Canadian education system where we're not really talking about the history of black Canadians. But what about researching your tour? How easy was it to find documentation and materials and firsthand accounts? Well, because my brother and I have been doing this for so long, um, it wasn't, it's not that it was easy to research for it. Um, because we're so passionate about this as well, uh, we enjoy this research process. So it did take quite a bit of time. And I also do need to say that we did also work with an organization in Ottawa called No History. Mm-hmm. And that's a bunch of historians. So they also helped with the research. Um, but for us, we enjoy this so much that even though it took, you know, honestly months to piece together this presentation, we were just soaking up all the information. And we're already preparing for next year's presentation, which is going to be part two of Tracking Black Canada, where we'll discuss other provinces in Canada. Oh, that's really exciting. I know there's a lot of people who are interested not just in find, in perhaps seeing this particular iteration, but also getting ready for next year. And I'm assuming you'll put it on if you were to do a second iteration of Tracking Black Canada. It'll be it'll coincide with Black History Month. So Akila, let me ask you the million dollar question. Why <laughs> is it so important for you to recognize Black History Month? Well, when I look back to when Black History Month was first recognized in Canada, so in 1996, February 1996 was the first Black History Month in Canada. And I was a high school student. I was mm-hmm. in grade 10. And nothing was done. I mean, my brother and I had a very unique upbringing in the sense that um, as black twins, we were in a predominantly white high school, very few black students, very few students of color. 
Um, so I guess teachers just didn't see the importance of it. Um, however, our upbringing at home was very, you know, Afrocentric. Our parents are from Trinidad. Uh, we always had books on Malcolm X, uh, Harriet Tubman House. So we always had the education at home. But at school, we were really lacking that education. Mm. So for me, I look at my niece and nephew who are now in elementary school, and I want them to have opportunities that we did not have growing up. I want them to hear about these inspirational stories so that they can then go on when they become adults and, and dream big and want to go on and, you know, change for, to make positive change in, in this world. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very important for kids to learn about about black history, regardless of the color of their skin. Mm. And also, I would say it's probably important to learn about black history, irrespective of the month of the year. I mean, one could even argue that every month should be Black History Month. How do you feel? Well, it's funny that you say that, because depending on what school we go to, we actually, one of the questions that we ask us in the presentation is, why is Black History Month in February? And if we're in an elementary school, we'll have really sweet students say, oh, because Valentine's Day is February, it's a month of love, which is really cute. (laughs) And then, you know, if we're in high school, some students will know the answers, whereas others won't. But then we'll have a lot of students say, well, Black History Month is every month for me. Mm-hmm. But then other students disagree with that because, I mean, for them, Black History is not important if they're not a person of color, I guess. Right. But, I mean, we actually are fighting at this point to try and get our presentation to be, you know, booked at schools year-round because obviously February is the biggest month for us. But we're telling schools, like, no, we will come to you March through June or, you know, August through January. I mean, it's really hard to get schools to book us outside of February because, as I said earlier, it's not part of the curriculum, which is crazy to me. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that was interesting about the tour when I was reading about it is the very unique pedagogical approach, which is a fancy way of saying you're not just talking at people, but it's really multidisciplinary. So give us an idea of what a typical workshop or presentation looks like and sounds like. Well, the presentation is interactive. We have a PowerPoint presentation running throughout the whole thing. Mm. My brother is an actor and spoken word artist, and he hosts the entire presentation. So he he uses in some original spoken word pieces. He also uh, includes some comedy bits. We have opportunities where we bring students up on stage, they create a live beat, and then my brother will then do one of his spoken word poems on top of the beat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oftentimes, it's it's painful to listen to the beat that the students come up with. <laughs> like, ooh, that's not a rhythm. <laughs> but it, it's really fun. And then throughout the PowerPoint, we've got quizzes as well. So we have opportunities to answer questions. So we really don't just talk at them. We get them involved in the presentation, too. The voice that you're listening to is Akila Newton, the founder and executor of, executive director of Overture with the Arts. And we're talking about the importance of Black History Month and the Tracking Black Canada Tour you mentioned this before, Akila. In fact, you took the words from my mouth in that you alluded to this. If we don't learn from history, then it is bound to repeat itself. In what ways can we make a connection between then and now? So how can we encourage students to think about what happened historically and make connections with some of the things that they encounter today? Well, I mean, I guess just when you turn on the news, oftentimes mm. today you'll just hear all these horrific stories about young black men getting shot and there's so many injustices that you're still hearing in 2020. And instead of progressing, I feel like things have been regressing. So I guess students really do need to understand their history. So, you know, they can, like I said, work towards positive change because it's crazy that in 2020, 
we're still fighting for the same rights that we were in the 30s, in mm-hmm. the 40s, in the 50s. It shouldn't be this way. No. I mean, the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Um, exactly. Kayla, I wanted to un- sort of also get into this notion with you that no community is a monolith. And so how does the Tracking Black Canada tour get into the history of black women, uh, people who are black but might also identify as queer or lesbian or members of the trans community? And also, if you have a chance to get into the histories of people who might have been racialized and disabled at the same time. Well, we actually do try and come up with a different theme each year. And last year, we actually did focus our presentation um, only on Black women. The presentation was called Brawl, which stands for Black Revolutionary Activist Women List. Mm -hmm. So we just focused on Black Canadian women that inspired us. And we are thinking in the future that we do want to do a presentation that focuses on the LGBT community and, you know, racialized people, uh, women of color, because when we look to... You know, I guess the gay pride parade that was actually started by um, black queer people. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they've made black people made so many, I guess, important changes, um, I guess, just uh, in terms of social change. So it's important to celebrate them. So we are trying to see if we can create a presentation that celebrates the LGBT community as well. Mm-hmm. We do feel it's very important to celebrate people from all backgrounds, including people from uh, that are disabled. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about Overture with the Arts. I know you have a background in performing arts. How does that translate into your work with the organization? Yes, so I'm the founder and executive director of Overture with the Arts, and I've always had a background when I was a kid in dance, theater, music, singing, gospel choir, you name it. And I just wanted to provide an outlet for young kids, regardless of their financial background, to be able to take part in arts workshops that were high quality, but low cost or free. So in 2009, I decided to uh, start Overture with the Arts. I knew very little about the nonprofit and charity sector, but, you know, every single year I learned more and more and the organization would grow. And we just celebrated our 10-year anniversary in April. Mm, so, congratulations. Thank you so much. So we do a variety of in-school and after-school programs from spoken word workshops to DJ workshops, graffiti workshops, a musical theater summer camp. We had a female empowerment music production program. So we do, you know, a variety of activities to keep kids engaged and to keep them in a safe environment after school. Mm -hmm. And between doing all of that, you also managed to find time to write a (laughs) book. So that came out in 2018. Tell us about your book that came out in 2018. Yeah, so I co-wrote a book with Tammy Gabay called Big Dreamers, the Canadian Black History Activity Book for Kids, Volume 1. And the book is all about celebrating Black history in Canada. So the first section of the book is an alphabet of 26 different people. And you'll see people in the book, including um, uh, Senator Anne Claire Cools, Yolan James, uh, Harriet Tubman, Elijah McCoy. So we have artists, athletes, trailblazers, and then we go on and talk about individual provinces and territories. And then the end of the book is really fun activities that just reinforces everything that was read at the beginning of the book. Um, and we have just fun quizzes. So the kids are, you know, we're putting them on what they learned at the beginning of the So it was really a, a labor of love. It's something that I, I've wanted to do for a while. And because there weren't resources available, I just decided I was going to do it. I mean, I'm not a historian, 
but I'm very passionate about educating youth about Black history. I feel like that should be the motto for the day. Just do it. But we've yes. just got a min- <laughs> we've just got a minute left, actually under a minute. But can you tell us about Volume Two that's coming out very soon? What can we expect yeah. from that? So Volume 2 will focus on uh, Canadian Black history as well. And similar to the Tracking Black Canada presentation, we're going to focus on historical Black communities within Canada and, again, inspirational people. So it won't be an alphabet of people. It's going to be broken down by province. And we'll still have the fun activities as well. So it'll be similar, about 64 to 68 pages. And we're hoping, I'm actually going to write that with my twin brother this time, uh, so we're hoping that that will be available in the spring or the fall. Well, it sounds very special. Akila, thank you very much and good luck on the tour. I'm sure it'll be fantastic. Thank you so much. That was Akila Newton, the founder and executive director for Overture with the Arts in Montreal. She is also the co-author of the book Big Dreamers, the Canadian Black History Activity Book for Kids, Volume 1. As you heard, Volume 2 will be coming out in the near future. And the Tracking Black Canada Tour will be taking place on various dates this month in Vancouver, Montreal, and Edmonton. For more information, visit owta.org forward slash track hyphen black hyphen Canada. We'll put up that link on our show blog, ami.ca forward slash on the pulse, where you can also go and catch a few of my hot takes and thoughts about this interview and about the relevance and importance of Black History Month. If you missed any of our preceding conversation with Akila Newton or any of our previous programming on The Pulse, you can go on over to your favorite podcast platforms and download the podcasts for this programming or anything else we offer on AMI-audio. And while you're there, don't forget to like, rate, or subscribe. As we wrap up today's program, I want to take just a moment to reflect on the value of celebrating Black History Month. There's a lot of burning questions within and outside of the Black community. How can we alleviate some of the systemic problems faced by the community, be it poverty, racism, or policing? But the solutions are not simple. But I think having a positive recollecting and recounting of our of the history and contribution of Black peoples to Canada, to its history and its cultural fabric, is a very good place to start. Events like Tracking Black Canada help to bridge that gap in knowledge and ensure that all of us, regardless of background, find something to celebrate in the contributions of the people around us, regardless of their race or heritage or culture. It is, in a in a nutshell, a really good step forward. So I hope that if you live in any of the cities uh, where this tour is happening to take place, you'll have a chance to check it out. And we would love to get some feedback from you about the program as well. We'd like to thank Akila Newton for being the guest on The Pulse today. The Pulse is produced by Andrika Delanerol, Sam Robinson, and Andy Frank, the manager of AMI-audio. Most of all, thank you for listening to the program. You can find us on Twitter at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI. On behalf of everybody here, thank you very much and happy Black History Month to all of you. Thanks for listening. This has been The Pulse on AMI-audio, and I've been your host, Juwita Gupta. Have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.